Hey, as you can tell, this is a bonus episode of the podcast. Uh, after a couple weeks of doing only PopCon-related releases for the podcast, I figured that we would just throw out a bonus episode devoted to Game of Thrones Season 5, um, just for the listeners who don't really want to hear us talk about PopCon anymore. Um, so, just wanted to let you know that this is ex- extremely spoiler-heavy, so we basically break down our feelings on the entire fifth season of Game of Thrones. So we're going to spoil it. Just want to let you know ahead of time. Um, thanks for listening, and also go to uh, the new Obsessive Viewer subreddit and subscribe to that. It's r slash Obsessive Viewer. We're posting um, things there, <laughs> links to the blog and stuff like that. But if you want to reach out to us, that's that's a really great way to do it. And I'm hoping to build more of a community out of that from our listeners. So without further ado, here's the Game of Thrones bonus episode. Uh, from Obsessive Viewer. Thank you. This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is a bonus episode of ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. <laughs> I debated whether we should do that opening like that. <laughs> eh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be a genre, trope, movie, or show, every episode. You can find uh, back episodes at ovpodcast.com and find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you're in the Indianapolis area, uh, here in October, on October 16th, we're going to be renting the Irving Theater for uh, Shocktober and Irvington 2. We're going to be doing. Uh, we're going to be screening short films from local filmmakers, and all of the money that we make from it is going to be benefiting the Irvington Historical Society. Uh, you can find more information and more announcements on it in the months to come at shocktoberandirvington.com. So, tiny. Yes, sir. This is a bonus episode. It is, and uh, this is a bonus episode about Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we haven't done one of these in. Since the since the third episode of the podcast, is it? Are you sure? I'm positive. That was when we did our uh, Game of Thrones season three wow. episode. Yeah. Yep. That's not. I mean, I'm a little embarrassed about that. Me too. Me because too. Because it's one of the one of our favorite shows. It's super popular. Absolutely. Soups pop. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but <laughs> we're talking about season five, and uh, it at the time of this recording, it uh, the season ended two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah. And. It ended. And, it did uh, end. A lot of things ended. It did. And uh, I'll just get this out of the way now. We're going to be spoiling the the show, Game of Thrones, uh, through the season five finale. I personally haven't read up to the end of the book, so I'm not going to spoil anything in the books. Um, and Tiny, I don't, you, you're not caught up on the book, so. No, not all the way. So don't worry. We're not going to spoil the books. We're just going to be spoiling the TV show. So if you haven't gotten caught up on game of thrones at this time at the end of season five uh pause this watch it and then come back and listen to us <clears throat> so where to begin um yeah like i i have some i have some opinions about the way that the season ended as a whole but i kind of want to i want us to give kind of our broad opinions on, on the season as a whole so okay. what did you think of this season of game of thrones you know i thought i thought it was their weakest season yet and uh i was I don't know if I'd say I'm disappointed, but I kind of thought it was heading this direction. Really? And the reason is because I read, I read like maybe a third of the fifth book or something. A Dance with Dragons? A Dance with Dragons. I believe that's, I don't even remember, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> and I think it's because uh, I really, I'm not, the books are good. I'm not saying mm-hmm. they suck or anything. I'm just, they're just not really for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of stopped reading them because I was getting so much more out of the show than I was the books. Um, Interesting. I'm sure some purists think I'm crazy, but uh, <laughs> whatever. Send um, hate mail to tiny at obsessiveviewer.com. Do it. I'll reply. Anyways, um, <laughs> uh, having read that third of the book, I was just like, yeah, I just, I, I can't, I don't, this is just, it's just like he's giving every character busy work. Mm-hmm. And I really felt that in this fifth season, too. I, I feel like most of the characters were just kind of going through the motions. It's like, well... I read an article somewhere. I wish I could. I wish I could properly accredit that article, but it said something along the lines of, "It feels like, or I think it's pretty clear that George R. R. Martin, you know, 
threw all these characters into the mix and doesn't know how to advance the plot or doesn't know how to conclude the plot uh, because there's all these storylines going for all these characters. So Mm -hmm. he has to make them like toil in obscurity for (laughs) in these random places. Like Tyrion was shipped across the world and now he's interacting with another character who's on the other side of the world who just like, she, she was just like, I don't know, in the background, I guess. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's like okay, you have these two characters just kind of toiling away in obscurity, and now you brought them together. And it's like, this should be a huge event, but it's just like, okay, let's keep, continue. It's like, right. she's still stuck in Marine, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, that's how it felt for, like, most of the characters in the, in, in the books, and that's how it felt with the season, in my opinion. Not to say there weren't good things. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bad. But, yeah. But uh, it's their weakest yet, in my opinion. Right, right. You know that that's interesting, and that that seems like a common, uh, a common thought, and everything. I I'd read, and maybe I don't know my my thoughts on the finale, and we'll get to we'll get to the finale um, here in a bit. But my thoughts on the finale, I feel like they might be molded by a comment that I read on Reddit of all places. Um, there was a it was when the news broke that. George R. R. Martin is not going to be involved in season six of the show because he's going to be writing the sixth book. Right. And as as a tangent, I kind of hate the the vitriol that um, people throw at George R. R. Martin. I mean, granted, on one hand, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. He should be writing the damn books. Yeah. And uh, but it's it's kind of there's like kind of this hate geared toward him, like. And I can I can understand their perspective, but it's like also it's like okay if you're pr- pr- uh, pressuring him to write the write the last two books and everything, you're just forcing him to write them very quickly, and, right? And that's not his style. And, and so that was kind of the general consensus of this comment thread on Reddit when when it was announced that he wasn't going to be writing for season six. Mm-hmm. And one comment in particular kind of kind of put it into a new perspective for me, and that is that it said that. His problem, what the, what they feel like his problem is, because because he wrote the first three books in like at most a two year span in between in between them, I think, mm-hmm. and he was just kind of cranking them out, and then once he hit, forgive me, because I'm I'm not going to remember, I, I I can't remember where where it is in the timeline for this, but um, when he hit either um a feast for crows. Yeah, yeah. When when he was writing a feast for crows, he was originally going to write it as uh, like a five year time jump at the start. Right, right. And it was going to be that he was going to. Ha- I guess he got like a, a lot of the book written, and then he just got tired of having to call back to like things that these characters were doing in the interim between the time jumps. So he scrapped the entire thing and wrote a feast of crows and and a dance of dragons, and that's a dance with dragons, and. The problem with that is that now he has he has the plot in his head, like the time jump. Um, he knows where he wants all the characters to be, but now he has two books where he needs to get them to that place. Right. And so, like, the, the commenter on Reddit kind of posited that he's lost the plot, and now yeah. he can't get it back, and maybe that's why he's taking so long to write The Winds of Winter, because he can't – he's lost the plot and he can't finish it. Mm. And what's interesting is that I also read that he has come out and said, like, if he if he dies before he finishes the books, he's, there's not no one's going to take it up and finish it for him. Wow! Like he's going to be it, the the estate is going to handle the rights to it or something like that. Um, although he did give, and in one of the this could have probably all been safe for after after our discussion of the season, but I'm just going to run with it. But yeah, he said that, um, or it's known that he's talked to David Benioff and DB Weiss about the end of the story for because right if the show eclipses his writing it's going to end before the books are finished and he wants them to know the story yeah and that's one of the common like retorts to people saying people saying that he's that he's uh uh that if he if he dies or something then at least we'll get the end of the story in the in the show but i i don't know I'll, i'll save that for I'll call back to that here in a bit, but my my overall thoughts for the season is I kind of echo your sentiment. There is a lot of just dragging dragging characters around. Um, like it, the season opened with Tyrion and Varys 
talking and and it set it up. It set up this really in, interesting plot element where Varys is telling Tyrion like, okay, well, we need to go. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to introduce you to uh, Daenerys Targaryen, and we're going to get her. We're going to help her get the throne. It set up this really intense plot in that, but he doesn't. He doesn't get to Marine until. Like what the seventh, seventh eighth episode? Seventh episode, something like that. Yeah. yeah, and and like you said, it's just a lot of him standing around and yeah. uh, not doing anything. And it's kind of, I mean, you get it's satisfying to see him talk to to uh, Daenerys about like they had that really really incredible scene where they're talking about uh, the wheel of of um, the wheel of the realm and stuff and how how each each house is there and they need to break the re- wheel in order to... Each house rule. is a spoke on the wheel. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a cool analogy. Yeah, it was awesome. It kind of reminded me how uh, that scene in season three that we actually talked about in our in our season three um, bonus episode, uh, the scene with Varys and uh, Littlefinger talking about how chaos is a ladder and right. and it kind of it kind of reminded me of, of that a little bit. Um, mm. And, and it, it wasn't just Tyrion and uh, Danny's storyline in the, in the season that didn't I wouldn't go so far as to say that it bothered me. It's just that it was so slow slow moving. But it wasn't just it wasn't just them. Like Arya, it was everybody. It was every it was everyone. Like yeah. Arya going to the House of Black and White and being trained by Jack and Agar. Um, like that's that's at the by the end of the last season, I was really really interested in seeing that that storyline play out. Yeah, and then. They, it just dragged so much throughout the season that by the end of it, I was like, I don't, I don't care. I, I just, I'm, uh, she's in a very interesting character, but I'm, I'm just not feeling the storyline at all. Yeah. And it's that kind of, that kind of is my thoughts on the whole season as, as, as it is. But I mean, probably the high point, <clears throat> probably the high point for me for the whole season was, <sighs> I don't know. Um, I really don't know. <laughs> well, for me, the I mean, the, there's a handful because one one thing you cannot take away from the show is that it is the scale of it and what they're able to achieve with the show in respect to its its ability to be cinematic is just flaw. It's just unbelievable to me. Oh, absolutely. Um, for example, there's there's uh, the, the scene in the. Uh, in the Coliseum where they're, they're having the fight and Jorah <laughs> fights. And, uh, it turns out the, um, what's the name of the cult or the, the weird group who's sons of the harpy sons of the harpy. Thank you. Um, they show up in the crowd and they try to attack everybody. And, uh, the dragon shows up yeah. at the end. Ray- Rhaegar. Is that the, uh, that's uh Drogon, I think. Drogon. That okay. That might be right. I think so. Um, the the big dragon <laughs> shows up at the end and just lays waste to a bunch of people. Yeah. It, I mean, that looked like something out of a big blockbuster action movie. Absolutely. That you would see over the summer. You know, like that was just and they didn't they didn't miss a beat. Everything mm. was just perfectly on point. Oh yeah. And I was just blown away by that. I mean, and there's there's a handful of other scenes like that this mm. year, and, and I I really respect the show for that, and I loved that stuff to death. But you know, if if that stuff is supplanting the the quality plot that I think the series could have, it's not. I mean, that that's not that's the lesser thing, I guess. Like mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather have the quality plot. As well as those things, you know? right? It, it's 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 unfortunate, but at the yeah. same time, you can't give them too much crap, right? And I mean, they they really do excel at these big cinematic moments like right. that. And we can talk about it's going to be out of sequence, but we'll we'll talk about that at, at the end of the episode, the, uh, a Dance of Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the Dance of Dragons is the episode title. It's the penultimate episode of the season's episode nine, and it's fun. I had such an interesting reaction to that sequence because. The way that it's set up is they have this big battle. They they have the big coliseum, the the, the fights and everything. And you know Jorah's in it, and and he's he's fighting to uh, get Daener- get back on Daenerys and Daenerys is uh, good graces and everything. And 
the whole time this is going on, I'm I'm expecting a big a big spectacle thing, and I'm remembering that like the penultimate episode of every season has huge huge moments. Like season one had Ned Stark getting uh, beheaded, beheaded. I said in the episode three <laughs> of the podcast. Um, Two years and still still going through that well. Um, <clears throat> going for that joke. But uh, season two had the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Yeah. Uh, season three had the, the Red Wedding. Yeah. And then season four had the um, uh, Battle of Ca- Castle Black. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the, ninth se- the ninth episode of every season has been a huge, huge moment. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of felt like maybe they were... Like, I went into that episode thinking, like, okay, we just came off of Hard Home, uh, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about after this, after this subject uh, a bit, but um, where, where the big White Walker and, and uh, Wildling and... Yeah, uh, that was another one Night's of those Watchmen. segments or scenes that was just unbelievable to see in a TV show. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, so I thought, okay, well, maybe they just kind of blew, the, blew their wad on that. Yeah. And then now they're kind of going to do this, like, kind of... Not low key, but this—they're not going to have the budget <laughs> to yeah. do a big spectacle at the end of at the end of the ninth episode. So, True. while I was watching Jorah fight in in the pits and everything, I was thinking like, okay, we've already seen this this season in the episode "The Gift," mm-hmm. and I, I'm just like, I, okay, if this is the moment where Jorah dies, and it's gonna, be, and I kind of thought back to uh, the Mountain and the Viper. I was like, if if he dies a gruesome death, I'm like, okay, I, I like Jorah a lot, but I feel like that's not going to do uh, that character justice, or it's not going to do. Um, I was expecting it, and I was like, I was mm-hmm. kind of troubled by that. But then, but then, as soon as he threw the spear and and he killed the son of uh, the sons of the harpy, and then all, everything just went to just went tits up. I like that's when I was <laughs> like, I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. Yeah, <clears throat> but. Then it went into the finale, and we'll we'll talk about da- da- Danny's finale, and then we'll go back and talk about um, Hard Home and okay. uh, uh, Jon Snow. But then it went into the finale where, like, like the end of the penultimate episode is Danny getting on the dragon and flying away. <clears throat> so, from my perspective, having not read the books or anything like that, I'm thinking, okay, this is when like she like this is telling me that she's. She has control of her dragons now. She's she's yeah. ready to like that. The significance of her getting on the dragon and riding the dragon is something that I didn't really put together in the mythology of of the fantasy landscape of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. because you know you hear the, they they tell stories about how the how when the Targary, Targaryens were on the throne and and how they had dragons and everything they would ride dragons to the battle all that stuff, and then uh, but that's a different thing from. <clears throat> From hearing stories about that to actually seeing a person on a dragon. Oh yeah, totally. And all I thought was like, okay, she she has she has dominion over her dragons, and like that's the that's the final probably the final piece. Like that's like she she can go to King's Landing and take the throne. Yeah, or at least start that way. But then the finale, the finale, it's a step backwards. It's it's like three steps backwards. Yeah. Um. And the finale, it just she she gets taken, I guess, from by the uh, the Dothraki, the Dothraki, who are a little salty toward her. I right. assume. <clears throat> so, what did you think of Danny's storyline uh, through the finale? Uh, I mean, yeah, like I said, I think it was a step backwards at the at the finale point. But I mean, I, I think there was some stuff that was some some good character stuff, I guess, but. It's it was just like the whole sons of the harpy thing. Little is a little bit compelling, but at the same time, it's like okay, you're just stalling in marine. It's like I I really wish I understand that like you know last year there was the whole last season there was the whole thing with the slaves wanting to do whatever. There's all the politics and all the philosophical right. and ideological discussions and all that stuff, and that was fine. I I I was okay with that. But it's like it feels like we did that for a whole nother season now. Well, it's like I said, she's just toiling away in Marine, whereas where I think it it makes so much more sense for the character and especially the plot. 
she needs to have Marine settle down, mm-hmm. and she needs to be heading. She needs to be crossing the Narrow Sea, yeah, and heading to Westeros. They've spent so that's, much. That's time. where she should be right now at the end mm-hmm. of season five, but she's not, and it's so frustrating to me. It is, and I feel I felt like between her meeting Tyrion and being uh, having him as as consul, I I mean. I really thought that this was going to be the start of the next stage of yeah. of her story and of the of the song of a song of ice and fire. Right. I thought this was going to usher in a whole new era, and maybe that's naive on my part, but it also just like you said, it it feels like it's stalling. And yeah, and all right, let, let's backtrack and talk about hard home. Uh, the the episode with with. The Wildlings and Jon Snow and the, mm-hmm. the Men of the Night's Watch, yeah. the Brothers of the Night's, wa- Night's Watch, um, fighting just oh my god, yeah. That sequel, like, what's great about all that to me is that okay, first of all, it's freaking awesome. Oh yeah, that scene where the the battle that was all just unbelievably great. But it's so it's made so much more better because it's advancing the plot. Absolutely, you know that's the that 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 falls into the the one of the slogans of the whole show winter is coming Mm -hmm. and they we actually start to see winter show up (laughs) in this season and it shows up in a big way Mm -hmm. and i'm like thank you let's uh, let's keep that going (laughs) you know so that's what i love about that 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 was a highlight i think absolutely and like my my feelings toward it like i went into that episode thinking like okay some some stuff goes down this episode i've heard i've heard from social media yeah big stuff is gonna happen and as soon as (laughs) As soon as, like, you saw, I, I can't remember exactly the imagery of it, but I remember that uh, Jon Snow and, and the Night's Watch were, they were ushering people on, onto the boats and everything, and then you just see, like, an avalanche or, or like, a, a cascade of mist coming off of the mountains and, and yeah. stuff, and all I thought was, like, like, it just, I, it sent a chill through my spine, and all I thought was, like, Oh, oh my God! This is something. This is happening. <laughs> it was scary. It was. It was absolutely terrifying. It was. It was like effective horror. I mm-hmm. mean, to throw something like that into this show, I was like, "Damn, that's just like these guys are good." <laughs> yeah, and seeing, and and like it, it became a thing where uh, I was aware that before the season, they said that uh, that characters characters that ha- are still alive in the books. Um, will die this season. Yeah. And if you remember in, in the third episode of the podcast and in the game of Thrones episode, um, I talked about a, <laughs> and it's funny if, if you go back and listen to that, I talk about the, the theory that, uh, the very, the prevailing theory about Jon Snow's mother is that she was, a uh, she was, I can't, I don't know the exact details, but a princess or a queen or something. Yeah. Or like, or that, uh, Rhaegar, Rhaegar, I think is his name. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering the, the mythology of this mm-hmm. of this show in this this book series, but uh, that basically one of the Targaryens had had uh, impregnated his mother, and he's a Targaryen by blood, and he has uh-huh. he has the right to the throne. Um, but seeing Jon Snow go up against the Night's King, <laughs> I had this I had this feeling in my in the pit of my stomach, thinking like, okay, well, in the back of my mind, I was thinking like, okay, he's you know. He's he's a big pivotal part of the storyline. He's going to make it through to the end. And then I was like, what if he doesn't though? What if yeah. what if he gets killed here? And like that was a very effective setup and everything. And to see him, the way that it the way that it plays out, where he he survives by the might of his Valyrian sword, mm-hmm. um, Longclaw. Uh, to to see that it was like that was so satisfying. And then uh, we're we're jumping around, but. Should we talk about? Because I, I also want to talk about Stannis, but we're already talking yeah. about Jon Snow. Should yeah, we go in to his finale, his end? <laughs> yeah, Jon Snow. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so how did you feel about the finale with with Jon Snow and, and the the mutiny? Um, I was fine with it because it was at least it was conclusive. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> you know it's moving forward. I mean, it's it's not it's not like he's going to be toiling at Castle Black some more. You know, some right. more more stalling so that that was positive but i'm i'm sad to see him go and i'm saying that but i'm wondering if he's actually gone because mm-hmm. uh, again i wish i could accredit this to the proper person but i saw online somewhere that maybe it was from you i don't remember but uh, someone was saying that you know the melisandra 
was mm-hmm. like pretty involved with him and she she like foresaw him doing great things mm-hmm. and you know he has king's blood in him so i i'm kind of curious if she's gonna do her whole thing where she brings him back to life because she that's in the books she does that in the books, right you know and we've um, seen it in the show we've, we've seen, seen it in the show too right uh, the the uh barrack i think is his name the guy from the brothers brothers without banners yeah yeah um, <clears throat> and and i mean at Again, I don't want to jump around, but also uh, uh, the mountain. Right. See yeah. In, the, in one of the final scenes, he's basically brought back to life. Yeah. He's um, reanimated. So, reanimated. Yeah. So you know that's that's part of the mythology of the universe. So, and you know, yeah. I think I think even in an interview, Kit Harrington wouldn't basically was vague about it. I was like, I don't know, I might be back, I might not. I'm not sure. Well, I think that the interviews have said like they he and the writers have have said that he's he's gone, but they've been oh, really? kind of coy about it, and that's kind of. <clears throat> That's kind of my problem with with the finale, the the tone of the finale, mm-hmm. is that I I don't know. It's it it was an intense sequence. It was it was a very satisfying sequence, a, a very satisfying end to the character mm-hmm. um, to an extent. But the way that it was set up, it this is and and this goes back to our talk about. Uh, George R. R. Martin potentially having lost the plot and the show getting caught up with the books is that uh, like, I, okay, I did not know that this was the end. This is how, this is how uh, the end of the book is basically like, this is the last thing of the book and everything. So I kind of get this feeling and maybe this is in my head, but I don't really think it is, but the showrunners have, an outline for the rest of the series have mm-hmm. an outline for the rest of the story from George R. R. Martin, but they don't have any published materials to to write toward. Yeah. So it felt like they. This is the first time where I felt like they didn't have a source material to write like to to pattern the writing against. Okay. Like seeing like we can we can somewhat compare it to the Red Wedding. Yeah. Um at the end of season 3 that like that character one of one of the one of the reasons why the red wedding worked so well and was so effective as a dramatic moment was that I personally thought that Rob Stark was going to last longer. Oh yeah, me too. I thought that like he had he had everything story-wise going for him that he was he was on a on a personal vendetta. He was he was he was going to claim back the throne for the north. He was I didn't really count him as a tragic character. I thought that his arc was going to be that he was going to learn. He's a young, he's a young commander in a war. He was going to learn to become like his father and, and to avenge his father basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, George R. R. Martin had different ideas, Yeah. but even then with that character being cut down uh, before a traditional storyline is concluded for him. Yeah. Um, it still resonated with me as a viewer as as this is the way that the this is the way that his storyline was always supposed to end <laughs> and this it kind of it it shocked me but it felt right in afterwards in this with Jon Snow getting stabbed by stabbed by the night's watch it it didn't carry that same weight for me mm-hmm. and this is a major major character death and it just it felt just really hollow to me not because I, not because i didn't care about the character because i love john snow john snow is a really great character yeah but the way that it was set up with like you're right like they the prevailing theory is that melisandre is going to resurrect him mm-hmm. and that um he, he's going to be fine i guess yeah. um and that that's my whole point my whole point is that they set it up with without the future books written without without publications to play off of so it felt really obvious to me. Like they, they made a point to show that Melisandre had an interest in, in Jon Snow mm-hmm. and they made a point to show that uh, Stannis – they made a point to end Stannis' uh, entire arc now, his, his entire – like to show that he isn't the chosen one or, mm-hmm. or isn't the subject of her visions or that her visions are wrong. And more importantly – they don't have anything, anyone or anything at Castle Black to a- engage my interests. Like they have Melisandre and De- uh, Davos, Davos there, um, 
and that they're interesting characters in the in themselves, but they've always had Stannis, and now they don't yeah. have Stannis. Right. And so they're at Castle Black with the Night's Watch, who just murdered Jon Snow, the one character that is our that is our gateway to the Night's Watch and to the story, the Castle Black storyline. Yeah. And then they even sent away Sam Samwell and Gilly and yeah. the baby, and he's going off to to the Citadel to become a Maester, which mm. is going to take several years. Right. And, and I don't know if he's ever he's going to come back or or anything. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> it just felt really. It it just felt really unfinished. And, yeah. And very. It, it doesn't feel right. And now, and now there's all the theories saying that like, Oh yeah, he's going to come back. And like the, the article saying that all the interviews saying that he's, he's, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You, you know, know, I, I think it feels right for the character actually, really? not for the story. I agree with you there because mm-hmm. it's, it totally, it totally severs the best part of castle black and everything mm-hmm. that's going on there. So you're right. I, I agree with you on that, but I think it makes sense for the character for the same reason that it made sense for Rob Stark, mm-hmm. because if you step on people's toes in Westeros, you get got, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, uh, Rob stepped on, um, oh, Walter Frey, Walter Frey. Thank you. Stepped mm-hmm. on his toes by screwing him over. <laughs> and that was just one little thing, but you know, Jon Snow has been pissing people off since the very first episode. Right. You know, and not to his own fault, not because he was reckless all the time, but sometimes it was because he was just a a cocky little son of a bitch who just kind (laughs) of acted on whims instead of, like, going through decision-making. And it it served him fairly well. I mean, he survived and he gained all this power, but in the end, it came back to bite him in the ass and he Mm. got killed and... I think it makes sense. I, I really didn't have much of a problem with it because I, I, I would be fine with – I think they gave us a lot of good gems regarding the White Walkers and the and winter coming. To kind of whet our appetite. Whet our appetite. And then I think it's just going to come full force next season maybe with the Boltons and Sansa being up in Winterfell because mm-hmm. they're kind of the first our obstacle south of the wall, the first big area south of the wall. So I have a feeling, you know, things are going to be just going on like normal in Winterfell, and all of a sudden White Walkers are going to show up, and it's going to just thrust them into Westeros, and that's going to be part of the plot from now on. That's what I'm hoping happens. I don't know if it will. Dude! So that's why I'm I'm okay with it. I I think it would be awesome if – what's the name of the dude who – I can't think of his name. Who uh, incited the mutiny against Jon Snow? The, the older guy who hates him. Uh, is it Alistair Thorne? I believe so. I think so. Alistair Thorne. Apologies if we're incorrect. I hope that at some point next season we get an episode where the White Walker version of Alistair Thorne kicks in the front doors of Winterfell, you know, figuratively, and <laughs> he's leading the army or whatever. And we skip all the crap up at the wall because we just know what happens because he's a terrible leader and they would get overrun and destroyed. I don't know. Huh. That's that's. I doubt that'll happen because that's too, that's too, too much progress. I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just skips over the whole yeah. Castle Black falling. Dude, seriously, that, <laughs> like, I'm I'm, you know, honestly, like that that idea that this is going to usher in the white walkers coming in to take over, over the realm and everything, all the realms and everything like, like, you know, take over. Yeah. Um, and this is going to usher in that, that would be incredible, but I feel like that's not plausible or that's not feasible within the story. Yeah. I know it's not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's too much progress, but I feel like, they left on such a cliffhanger of, I guess cliffhanger, you, you can call it that, of Jon Snow getting killed, that it's, it would be, it would be blowing their wad early in the season. Yeah. Um, if, like maybe if they ended the season with Jon Snow getting killed and then the White Walkers attacking Castle Black and demolishing it. Like that would be just an insane season finale. Yeah. And maybe that can be the season finale next year, but. Right. I don't think that's that's going to happen. Um, yeah, but it would be it, that would be incredible. Like that would be just absolutely insane. That would re, that would make me feel better about the way that the season ended for Jon Snow and how mm-hmm. his how the storyline ended for Jon Snow. But also, it it kind of bothers me that okay, so we had that whole huge huge mega battle at Hardhome, and you saw. 
men of the Night's Watch see this happen and see everything happen. Mm -hmm. And yet, when they get back to Castle Black, like, no one's talking about it. There's no... I can understand, like... That's one thing that I don't... That That's one reason why I don't... The, the mutiny doesn't feel right to me is that just from a story story perspective, like, the whole series is based on... Is, is kind of, like, kind of an overview of the series is, like, people are willfully ignoring this supernatural force that's going to destroy all of mankind, all of, all of, all of humankind, all of the realm. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're focusing on these interpersonal... In, uh, houses uh turmoil stuff all the all this little interpersonal conflict and everything right but this is just like too too willfully ignorant to for people to come back from a large battle seeing like irrefutable irrefutable proof of this and then to kill the person who who is responsible for saving lives and who is te- who's telling them like we need the wildlings on our side just because there's a grudge between the crows and the wildlings. Like grudge is, is oversimplifying it a bit, but just to just to uh, settle a beef about a decision from from the uh, the commander, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, which is what John was. It, it's it just seems so hollow in from a storytelling perspective for me. I I, I see that, but I don't know. I think it makes sense because. Alistair Thorns hated him from the beginning, and right. no logic has never gotten in the way of his disdain for the guy. Mm-hmm. And so, even though you're right, it's like this is irrefutable evidence. All these people that came back are saying that this is going to be a big deal. You know, the White Walkers coming. Um, I, I think I, I don't think that would sway his his desire to want to kill Jon Snow, and for him to for for you know while they were gone, um, I can totally see Alistair Thorne you know, getting a mutiny together while he was with all the people at the castle while he's gone. And, you know, doesn't matter what kind of news he came back with. They were going to kill him anyways. I, it didn't bother me. Agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, yeah, I definitely see your point, but, and I, I think that we're, I think that we're, we're overlooking the, the Ollie of it all. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's a big key component to it because I mean they set up this kid from the start from from his from the start of his character that yeah. he has I mean he saw the wildling slaughter his family and and all that but I, I don't know I feel like that's kind of the punctuation mark of 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 it it's like Alistair Thorne's um, disdain for Jon Snow as well as Ollie coming full circle with his yeah. with his disdain for the white for the wildlings mm-hmm. so. I don't know. I don't know. And something that's kind of frustrating me is that in the in the interviews and stuff, like there's, I, I read the interview in Entertainment Weekly about from Kit Harrington that was recorded or that was uh, 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 the interview was conducted before the finale ended or the finale aired and and they held on to it, I guess. But they were talking about <laughs> they were talking about his character being being killed off, and they were saying like, okay, well, what what are you going to do now that you're off the show? After he's saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with the show, um, and he's like, I don't, you know, I don't know, I'm, I might, uh, I might try to find a movie or something, or I might, I might take a holiday and and write and try writing, and it's <laughs> like, I'm just like, yeah, okay, okay, Jon Snow, <laughs> and uh, and then they were like, so what about your hair? Because you know, it's very, it's very famous, famously <laughs> stated that he's under contract; he can't cut his hair, right? Um, and he's like, oh, you know, I might, I might cut it or something. Uh, we'll see. And then, like in parentheses at the in the Entertainment Weekly uh, interview, it said like by, by the time that this went to press, he cut his hair. And like, <laughs> and it's like okay. And I, I dug a little deeper, and he he cut his hair for another role that oh. was being filmed on in the off season of uh, Game of Thrones. And it's not like he went like full bald or, right. or, or anything like he trimmed it. Yeah. Like it would be long enough to do this, to, to come back for next season. And that's, and we won't talk more. We won't talk that much more about theorizing about next season for him. Because one thing that's kind of frustrating me is that I'm seeing all of these theories come forth and all of these, like, okay, the, all this double speak, like saying like, okay, uh, Amelia Clark, said this in an interview and that clear that that means that gives us fuel to the that gives fuel to the rumor that Jon Snow will be back and i read it and like her 
her statement was, I think that they know that they know that they can't trust me with a secret, meaning the writers, so they don't tell me anything. So uh, I literally don't know anything. I I have no idea about anything about the future of the show. <laughs> and then like the article, which it was written by Joanna Robinson from Vanity Fair, and she she co-hosts uh, a uh, a cast of Kings with with Dave Chen from Slash Filmcast, and I really like that podcast. Um, and she's she's very good in it. Like she's awesome in it. She's read all the books and everything. And she also hosts a, a storm of spoilers with Dave Gonzalez. That is is <laughs> it's a it's a Game of Thrones podcast for the book readers. Like oh, yeah. and all that. It's it's when I when I read the books, I'm going to check it out. But anyway, um, in the article, she's like now now that statement, but from Amelia Amelia Clark would be okay by itself. But then she followed up with. And then so I'm like, okay, scrolling, what did, what did she say? And it's like, like she said, like it is, I guess they were talking about how like, okay, Melisandre is, is at, at Castle Black and it's very prominent that they, that they showed that she was there and all that stuff. And then she's like, I guess her statement, the rest of her statement was, yeah, I guess it's about 50, 50 that he'll come back. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not saying anything. That's, yeah. that's not, I don't know. I, this, this, this is more about my my aversion to clickbait uh, news uh, news items and articles and stuff online, but right. but anyway, let's. I mean, we can we can kind of start winding down a little bit, but I want to yeah. touch on um, the uh, Winterfell and Sansa and, and Reek, and then also uh, Stannis. So let's since we're kind of going backwards anyway, uh, I guess it would be called backwards. But uh, Stannis Baratheon, he had a very you know I would almost say that his arc of the season was was the most compelling for me. Really? Uh, almost. I'll say he, he that character, was the most interesting he's ever been. Mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. I've not, not, I've never been a fan of Stannis. Really? The only thing that kept me interested at all was the was Melisandre and her dark magic stuff. I've, I've never been a fan of Stannis. Interesting. You know, I'm kind of the inverse there. Really? I'm, uh, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of the opposite. I, I uh. was really kind of on board with, with Stannis. I was thinking, I think I'm more... More aligned with uh, uh, Davos. Uh, uh, yeah, he's the better character. Yeah, yeah. Davos is yeah. the better character, and he's he's. It's better to read him in the books because I've I've read the first two books. I'm reading a storm of, uh, a, a storm of swords now. Yeah, but and he's the more compelling character, and he has the better arc. And in the books, he's he's much better fleshed out, and there's a lot more to his uh, conflict in the book. There's a lot more conflict to his conflict to his character in the book. But in the show, Stannis is like I've I've never once thought okay he's gonna be he's gonna take the throne he's going to he's going to be the ruler he's gonna he's gonna I knew from the beginning like he's gonna end in such a bad fashion. <laughs> Me too. And I think he's, that's part of why I didn't like him. I think that's part of why I liked him. No. <laughs> yeah, because I, I think the show kind of builds itself on. On being about characters and downfalls of characters, yeah. And this is a character that you you almost want to sympathize with him, almost, mm. just because the I at least I did, okay. And just because there was really no one else that was like trying to make a claim at the throne that you want to sympathize with or that you were interested in, because da- Daenerys is you know screwing around a marine, yeah. So. I, I just thought that having Stannis Baratheon, uh, having a Baratheon still in the mix, uh, was a very interesting element. And having him be this religious zealot or this or this uh, this crazy person uh, committed to this spiritual possibility of him of him being being the true king and all that, mm-hmm. having that element really kind of made it interesting to me because it was it was different from like what was going on in king's landing it was different from the lannisters and the uh uh martells from dorne and it was just it was really unique and that was kind of and i mean even in season two when when you see when you first meet malisandra and you see the 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 shadow that murders uh renly Mm -hmm. like that was kind of if a memory serves that's like the first like real like dark magic kind of high fantasy kind of element to the series I believe so. And that that kind of, I don't know that that kind of made me kind of really intrigued by his character. But anyway, so his so his end, 
first of all, I loved that they, you know, sacrificed his daughter. I thought that that was a really that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I hate yeah. saying that because it's disgusting, but right, I, they just had the balls to do it. Yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was really well executed, and it was <laughs> it was <laughs> and it was it wasn't in the books, right? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, that, that I mean, was, took balls, and yeah, it's really upsetting, uh, obviously, yeah, yeah. and it really burned me up. And uh, Stop. and I mean, you know, the Stannis, like, I love that he sent Davos away for that. And like, right. I mean, you know, obviously, like with with Stannis and Melisandre and uh, like having his his wife on board, too. I mean, there's a lot at stake here. I hate you. Um, <laughs> that was a long way around for that pun. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and also another gripe about uh, I think it was the finale. Yeah. Is that his his wife committing suicide just kind of came out of it wasn't it wasn't developed properly for me I mean you see that she's you know has second thoughts at the end of the episode where they burn her burn their daughter yeah but I mean it's just like almost in like the opening opening of the episode it's like oh yeah she she hanged herself and oh all right we got to go take Winterfell yeah I don't know it kind of felt but then again she's a very ancillary character anyway, yeah she so. hasn't had much to screen time yeah I was I was really satisfied with his exit from the show because it was relatively unceremonious mm-hmm. and i that's what he deserves in my opinion that's i mean I, he, i'll agree with you there yeah like if especially <laughs> yeah i definitely agree well in, in his nonchalance towards it mm-hmm. he's like go ahead do your duty yeah he's like not he's just like he's like whatever i'm over it my death whatever yeah Kill me. it's like because really? he knew that he wasn't that the the prophecy or whatever right. wasn't true right um and also that he that moment where where like you're right, it's an unceremonious death, and I feel like that. I mean, it's a major character death, a character that we've been following since season two, and there's a lot, a lot at stake, <laughs> a lot. There's a lot going on with the character and everything, but to see him so abruptly killed is so. <laughs> it's so in keeping with what that character is. Yeah, yeah. Because he had this this ego and this inflated sense of purpose and. In this very misguided uh, destiny that he thought was his and all that, only to see him killed like that was just the icing on the cake. It was the perfect end for that character. And I had some problem with it being off screen because, you know, Brienne says her, says her thing and then he says, do your duty. And then she just swings the, swings the sword and you just hear it. But like now that I'm thinking about it in this context of him being, you know, it's unceremonious because he's he's an unceremonious character who doesn't have the right to the throne. Yeah. Um, it kind of puts it into an an interesting context for for me, and I think that that's an interesting element to it. Yeah. And I, I think that it's it serves the character well, and I really liked I really liked seeing the scope of like how just how much his his siege on Winterfell failed miserably because that that kind of overhead shot of all the all the uh Bolton men mm-hmm. and then Stannis's like very small group of group of warriors and everything yeah. just getting swamped like you don't you didn't even they didn't even need to show like the battle like right. they just needed to see that sweeping shot and it yeah. was it really played well right totally yeah um Okay, so do you want to just talk about uh, Stan, uh, uh, Sansa and Reek, and then we can call it a day? Sure. Um, kind of skipped over uh, Cersei and her whole thing. Oh, my God, Cersei. Yeah. Which, yeah. in my opinion, both storylines, Sansa at Winterfell with the Boltons and Cersei dealing with uh, religion people. The high spar- the the, ser- sparrows. The Catholic allegory. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Catholic church allegory. Um <laughs> It's just it's just more toil. It's more mm-hmm. toil, like keeping the characters relevant while the plot doesn't advance. That's a, that's all yeah. both of them were to me. I really, really didn't care about Sansa and Winterfell. Me neither. Which drove me nuts because I was I was really compelled by her character while she was with Littlefinger, mm-hmm. and she was kind of becoming a woman in a, right. in a psychological sense. Um, I was really into that last season. And I feel like they just wasted all that momentum this they, season. They didn't do anything with her. And yeah, that, that yeah. is the most frustrating thing. Like, we had – there was a whole controversy with the rape scene, and, and we yeah. talked about it in, in an episode a few weeks ago. And it 
I can't remember where my stance was on there, but remembering it now within the context of the full season, the big controversy of, of it it undoing her character and using the, using rape as just a, a way to knock down a character and, and not with any sort of relevance or or uh, tact tact really yeah um, but seeing it like that it, like it did dem- it did demolish her character and mm-hmm. and I kind of side with the people that that are against it because like I don't I don't think that they utilize rape in that way like they don't they don't use it as as a as a means to just completely tear down a character or anything but this is what it, it felt like it was purposely just it didn't have any follow through yeah it was it was something that just tore her down so i guess i just contradicted myself that it is this is the first time in the show's history that it seemed like they were building a character towards something and then deliberately knock them down to keep them from being built up anymore. Mm. And it was like, it's like, it's like Daenerys with uh, running across the Dothraki. It's like two, two steps backwards. And, yeah. And there was no redeeming quality or there was no redemption arc to that character at the end of the season. I'm, I'm hoping that the, the whole rape thing is, I, I'm hoping that it was a catalyst for her um, grasping onto responsibility for her own destiny because it seems like she's, I mean, obviously she's trying to escape from Winterfell and get away from this. And I think she's, I, I hope it's leading to her striving for her own independence and making her own way and not relying on Littlefinger or the Boltons mm-hmm. or just wanting to get married and become a queen or whatever. Um, she, she needs to be, I think, I think it's her being more like an amalgam of her mother and Cersei Lannister, because mm-hmm. those are the two greatest womanly influences in her in her life. Um, and I think if she's she's just a, a crazy or entertaining amalgam of the two of them, that would be that'd be a good thing for the character. So if it leads to that, maybe in the long term it'll be a good thing. But for the moment, it was yeah, it was a bit it was a bit out there and just what they did with the character wasn't, wasn't very satisfying mm-hmm. for, for now, but we'll, we'll see where it leads. Well said. Basically. I, I really like that. I really like that idea for, for her character going forward because yeah. it, they didn't really show this. Or I mean, they, they put an emphasis on, on this element of her character in season one, but while reading the first book before I watched the, before I watched the series, I was really, really interested, and I said this in my review of the book that I posted on obsessivebooknerd.com, but she was one of my favorite characters in the first book because yeah. it was such an interesting angle to this fantasy story that showed, that had like a lot of political power plays. This is before like the the real like you know magic and dragons and stuff happened in the show. Mm-hmm. It was kind of more grounded in, in this kind of reality and in a in a fantasy realm kind of environment. Mm-hmm. But she stood out to me in the first book because she, the character was drawn so well as this princess character who was so dependent on, on the, the princess fairy tale thing. Yeah. And then slowly coming to the realization that, that the world is not the way that it's been told to her in fairy tales. And, <laughs> Game and of Thrones is not Cinderella. Exa- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it even carried over in, into book two and, and, and season two uh, with her with her hoping that um, – I can't remember the character's name, but the, the fool, like Joffrey's fool who helped her, esta- her, helped her escape. can't remember his name either. I can't remember his name either. But um, in the book, like when, when he reaches out to her and tells her that he's going to rescue her and everything, she's – like she – the inner monologue is so well written for her that she's she's thinking like okay he's my uh, Florent I, I think is the mm-hmm. the prince that rescues the princess in the fairy tale in in the A Song of Ice and Fire mythology and she's like oh yeah he's my Florent and he's gonna rescue me and he, okay well he's not you know he's not handsome and he's not like there's this inner struggle of her making peace with this thing and it's it develops into this defense mechanism in yep. the second book yeah. And it's it's really it's really great characterization. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it, it kind of and they they toy with that in the in the series and everything, but but by this, I mean I don't know. I, I really so what I'm saying is I really like the idea that she's going to finally learn to be independent, finally learn how to yeah. how to you know not be murdered and not depend yeah. on other people. The last the last fantasy, if you will, of her different 
that if that's her defense mechanism is you know creating these fantasies in her head to get her through the day or whatever. Mm-hmm. The last one was that she was going to marry the Lord of Winterfell and take yeah, back over Ramsay. Winterfell, and that crumbled apart very quickly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And I really didn't like the way that the series, the season wrapped up like that story arc and Arya. And her and Arya's story arcs, um, because it kind of, like I said, going back to talking about Jon Snow, it felt like they were they were writing an end to a character arc for the season without having, like, blind. They were blindly writing it because they don't have the published work to play off of in, in the future now for mm-hmm. the first time in the series' history. So it felt like, okay, you know, she the last we see of Sansa is her and Reek slash Theon, uh, which, my oh, we... Theon and, and Reek, I really, really am very much invested in that character. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really intrigued to see what happens next with, with him. Yeah. Um, and Alfie Allen is just a fantastic actor. He's really, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, initially, I wasn't too impressed with him when he was just Theon. Mm-hmm. I thought he I thought he was good. Yeah. But I wasn't blown away. But the transition he's made, dear God, he's fantastic. Yeah, he... He becomes a lot less cocky, Tiny. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, well done. I'm so proud of that. Anyway, um, but the last we see of Sansa and Reek is they're jumping off of the castle yeah. into the snow. And, like, a literal cliffhanger. A literal <laughs> cliffhanger. In that, like, I, 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 I rewound that, and it's like, I mean, that... Uh, I don't see how I don't I like I felt like this is the way like the, it seems like they were trying to kill them off but it but there's because there's no way that they could conceivably survive that big a drop um and there's no context given for how high up the snow is yeah I don't know and it would be too packed I I don't know it it just felt like so like all right let's just let's just do this and we'll deal with it next season right and that really bothered me and then yeah. with Arya it seemed like there there was kind of this effort that. Um, with Arya, it it goes back to me just being kind of disinterested with her arc in the season overall. But her like doing the blindness thing, it was it was too, it was too steeped in mysticism. It was too confusing. It was too just sudden to really like like I don't have any context for what's going on with her, and I don't know how I can really care about her because i'm like i don't i don't is she blind for good is this is this yeah something that's just going to be temporary is she just being punished i i don't have any context for it to really grapple with the emotional uh the emotion of it yeah and uh finally finally well and i swear we'll wrap this up yeah um cersei cersei's arc was very satisfying to me yeah at least at the end i i really thought like that was just incredible and i loved the scene of um uh, I, I don't remember his name. I'm sorry, everyone. But the the maester who reanimated yeah, I don't uh, remember his name either. Uh, reanimated the mountain, but he he was like, "We're uh, he's here to to take to take out all the queen's enemies or something like yeah. like that." That has me like that's the most that's the most excited I am for season six is right to see that play out. Me too. But the last thought of the of the episode, and we'll we'll wrap it up again. But um. I had a very big problem throughout the entire season of the Sons of the Harpy and Marine and the Sparrow, the Sparrows or the High Sparrow. Right. And, kind and of the same on. story, really. They were they were ve- like they were very identical. I and I mean maybe I didn't pay close enough attention in the early episodes, but I I just I could I don't understand how either one of those came to be. I didn't understand what they were what their what their motivation was i didn't understand just where they came from i didn't understand anything about it mm-hmm. and i i just couldn't get behind it i couldn't under i couldn't grapple with i couldn't really be emotionally invested in it because suddenly i just didn't understand what these what these mass religions and cult like behavior yeah. was doing and how they gained control of king's landing i, I it was just so confusing to me that yeah. i I look forward to rewatching the season on Blu-ray mm-hmm. <laughs> to get some context for it, but on first pass through, I just it didn't wow me. Yeah, especially the the sparrows or whatever. Mm-hmm. They, you know, why did they, why were they biding their time so much that they just show <laughs> up in the fifth season? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, theoretically, they were in the whatever the the church or whatever, and yeah. in the um, the capital city. You know, they were there the whole time, all through the first four seasons, and they're just now showing up. I, yeah. It's weird. I, it's weird. I don't know, and that's 
And I mean, it's not like the show is a stranger to introducing elements mm-hmm. without any context previous to it. I'm thinking of like like Oberyn Martell's arc in season four was one of my favorite arcs of the entire series. Yeah. And he kind of pops up out of nowhere in season four. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of I think that there's there's references to the to Dorne and right. to the Martells and everything throughout the series, but I I didn't really know what was going on with his arc until he showed up on the show. Yeah, and like he had one season that was just really really intense, really incredible. I was really behind on what his arc was, and I didn't get any of that with it, the the Sparrow or the High Sparrow right. and um, Sons of the Harpy. And it's just yeah. it's it's disappointing and it. And it makes me nervous that there were two major plot elements mm-hmm. that I couldn't connect to in one season of a ten episode HBO series. Right. So yeah. But um, I'm also also just quickly. I'm hoping we have not seen the last of the Sand Snakes. Oh, me too. Because in the books, the little bit of the fifth book that I read, they were awesome characters. Really, really awesome. And I don't think they were done quite enough justice. I, I hope I really hope they're back in the next season. Me too. I, I think they will be because yeah. I mean the way that we didn't even talk about Jamie and yeah, we Marcella. Uh, that scene was interesting. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that was. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the whole again, I, I hate to keep saying this and harping on this point, but I feel like Jamie and him going to get um, uh, Braun. Oh, and Braun. Pick up Braun and then going to get Marcella. Just more distraction. That, is yeah, what it feels and like to me. I think that's the, kind of the consensus too. Yeah. Like the, all the Dorn stuff was just kind of filler and kind yeah. of throwaway. Oh, totally. It just it. The thing that made me really interested in it is uh, the interplay between Jamie and Braun. Uh-huh. Uh Because I love Braun. Braun is just just oh, such an fantastic. awesome character. Yeah. And seeing him interact with with Jamie especially is just it was that was a good like yeah. I would love to see a buddy cop show yes. with those two characters. Yeah, I mean, all of this toil that I've mentioned, to keep mm-hmm. using that word, all the toil is mixed in with very quality dialogue, mm-hmm. and there's some character development. Some of it's good. Yeah. Uh, I'll say that, but it's all just taking chunks out of the plot. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate. And the payoff to that storyline was was him coming clean to, to his daughter, to his niece slash daughter yeah and i was i was on board with that i really liked that that scene was incredible like i thought that that was just such a such an incredible scene great character moment oh absolutely and and seeing her being like i understand i'm i i know and uh and her her like saying like i'm glad that you're my father like that yeah that's such an incredible like such an incredible character moment oh yeah and uh, then it Game gets of Th- ripped away. Yeah. yeah, Game of Thrones happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they get R.R. Martin. Yes. <laughs> so that, was, but the, when it when it lasted, it happened. But I mean that 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 makes me hope that that storyline, the the Lannisters and, and the Martells and and Dorne and King's Landing, like that, has a bigger thing next season. Because um, yeah. it it has to really right, and I really do hope the Sand Snakes uh, return because the the short haired one, like, yeah, I like I yeah, she's a like she's a very talented actress. She <laughs> she she stood out and everything, but uh, like I I'm crushing pretty hard on her. Nice, can't blame you. Yeah, she is the most beautiful woman in the world. She she is. See. Um, See. Yeah, because anyway, happy. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think. Is there anything else we need to cover? Or should we wrap this up? Let's wrap her up. Put a bow All on right. it. Should we? Should we stab this? Put a bow on it yeah. and rape it on its wedding night. Oh my god, tiny! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that was terrible. That was that was awful. You can't was, put that in the episode. <laughs> I know I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, uh, and and one final thing: if you're a fan of the books and you are one of the people that are so hard up on George R. R. Martin to finish it, and you're harping on him, and you've you've like you're you have it in your head that he owes you the rest of the story, which which one side of it he does and everything. Just I'll put this into perspective, and then we can end the episode. That okay. when you think about an about a writer rushing something and maybe this won't really resonate with a lot of with a lot of listeners or anything because i don't know what the overlap on these two series are but stephen king wrapping up the dark tower yeah after his accident he cranked out the last three books in like in like a year or two yeah it and it was 
the ending was satisfying, but the road to the end in the last three books were was not. It was uh, it was a mess, and I mean. I really respect George R. R. Martin's creative process, as slow as it is, mm. and I hope that he hasn't lost the story like the like the poster on uh, Reddit claimed. But I mean, you got to make him. You can't rush creativity, right? And right. I would rather he he concludes his legacy at his own pace and in a in a, in a fashion that is satisfying to the overall storyline, rather than crank out something so that he can go back to going to conventions and writing on the show. Yeah, rushed art is almost never good art. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, well thanks for listening guys. We'll throw it to the pre-recorded outros. This uh yeah, you can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com like we said. And uh thanks for listening. Thanks guys. Yeah. For the watch. <laughs> nice. I yeah. I don't all men must die. I guess so. Philar uh, Margolis. Lannister, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell, they're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer at obsessive tiny and at I am Mike white. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.